A woman once sat through a very long sermon preached by John Wesley and heard nothing of it because the strands of his tie were too long. She couldn't stomach it. She couldn't stand it. Immediately following the service, she decided she would approach him to correct him on this problem, this offensive wardrobe blunder that he had engaged in. And she wanted to express to him how this failure on his part had not only annoyed her greatly, but had happened to her spiritual detriment. Wesley, with contrition at having been appraised of the circumstance, asked if there might not be some scissors nearby with which to lop off the offending strands. And some shears were found, which he then handed to the woman, and he uh, unattached his tie and then proffered the offending garment to the woman as well, who then shortened them to her liking and handed the pieces back to John Wesley. When he'd received them, he thanked her and said, Now, my good woman, there's something about you that is altogether too long and which has greatly annoyed me. And since one good turn deserves another, I would like permission to shorten it. She was obviously put in a position that was a little bit difficult for her at this stage of the game, being that he just uh, bent to her will. And so she said that she would reciprocate. Um, she, she said, certainly, sir, you may have my permission to do so, and, and here are the shears, and handed the shears to him, whereupon the worthy divine said to her, very well, madam, please put out your tongue. <laughs> Today we are finishing out our series on feeding. You'll remember is for the first two weeks as we gathered together, we talked about feeding from Scripture and taking in nourishment from the Scripture. And the next week, we talked about feeding our minds, becoming people of depth who invested ourselves heavily in understanding this world God has made and the one that is beyond this one. And then as we gathered together last week, we talked about feeding emotion, how we are made not just as mental creatures, but also as emotional creatures, and that God has some plans for not just how we're to use emotion, but also how we're to restrain and focus our emotions in ways that honor him. Today, we're talking about feeding with words. Words are weird. They are strange. If you've never stopped to think about it, I want to just run you through a quick meditation. This is, this is some of that deeper thinking I'm saying that we want to do. What are words? Have you thought about what's happening right now? This is so bizarre. So I've got this structure within my throat, and it's vibrating. It's making all these vibrations. And as it's doing so, I'm pushing air, a controlled amount, just a certain amount at given times, and it's coming out, and it's passing through my throat, and up into my mouth, which I'm, I'm presently shaping like massively. I'm just altering muscle uh, tension all over this mouth, and my tongue is moving in and out of my teeth and all over the place so that I can create a certain vibration that moves through the air right now, and it's hitting you in the face. And it's hitting you in the ears. And so you've got this, this device that are, they're attached to the sides of your head, and they're gathering in those vibrations, and you've got little bones in there that are vibrating, and as that's happening, it's creating an electric signal that is going into your brain that is telling you what I'm saying. It's making sense of everything that's happening. We have thought transference devices built into us as human beings, and we don't usually give thought to that. Isn't that weird? Isn't that amazing? And don't we serve an amazing God who would think about such a structure to put into place? Words are not just weird, but words are dangerous. Before we dig into how words are dangerous, let's see how you did with your words this past week. We're going to go to our monthly memory verse. Last chance on this one. First service blew it out today. They did a great job. Not to put any pressure on you, but God's paying attention. All right, 
Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your were found, and I and your words became for me a joy and the of my for I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Good job, guys. All right. And there'll be a new one next week. So the homework is ongoing. Amen and amen. Words are not just strange. Words are dangerous. Open your Bibles up to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He was one of the leaders in the first century church after Jesus had gone on. What qualified James to be a leader in the church? Well, he grew up with Jesus. And so while the other disciples got three years of training, James was with Jesus throughout most of Jesus' life. James was known as Old Camel Knees. What a great nickname. Old Camel Knees. And the reason he was known as Old Camel Knees is because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that they said his knees looked like those of a camel. These are the words of James to the church. This is, this is part of what he's articulating as a profound truth. I want you to pay attention to it. James chapter 3, verse 3 through 12. Now, if we put bits into horses' mouths so that we, they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets the fire of the course of our lives and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and the creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by man but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, this ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs, nor can, a salt, can salt water produce fresh. The tongue is weird, but the tongue is dangerous. Let's start out with a word of prayer this morning. Master, your children have gathered together today, and we want to hear a word from you. So God, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to speak in and through this message that I've worked to prepare. God, that, uh, that your Spirit speaks through me or past me if necessary but particularly, I want to pray for the listeners right now, and I know they can amen me in this regard. We want to hear from you, so help us to do the hard work of listening. God, not just listening, but application. So Father, as, as we talk about these things, I know there should be some conviction. There was, as I, as I put this together for myself, for me. Give us conviction. Use your Holy Spirit to change who we are today going forward. We love you, O oh God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to start by talking about words that leak life. Words that leak life. You might not think about yourself this way, but as you open your mouth, I want you to think about life spilling out. Let's get that visual in mind. What would you say if I asked you what bad words were? I've made the mistake of asking high school classes this before, who were all too willing to volunteer every word they could think of as fast as they could 
before I could shut it down. They wanted to let you know what words were unacceptable. And many of us would do the same thing. If I asked you what bad language was, what you would typically think was, okay, here are the list of words that if I said them, grandma would be very displeased, right? You could jot those words down. But is that what makes a word bad? Is it simply a list of words that we have to avoid if we're going to be good and godly people? What is it that makes a word bad? This is odd to think about. What creates, what takes those vibrations that move through the air and what makes them into something that God looks at and goes, that is vile? Mm, it's good. I like intentionality. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. Is it a certain sound? There are certain curse word sounds. Uh, I had a friend in Bible college who came to Christ late in high school. And uh, having come to Christ late in high school, he had a plethora of words that he used to use that he now had to find substitutions for. So it was not uncommon to hear him around the Bible college go, oh, fish, or oh, son of a fish. And so most of us then hearing him do such asked him, Jason, why are you saying this? And he goes, because it's got all the best curse word sounds. Right? Now, it's, we know it's not a sound that makes a curse word vile before God, right? If, I, if I'm expressing that, if I'm just pushing out a certain noise, even though it might be gratifying on some level, I don't think God is looking at him going, how dare you say fish, sir? Didn't you not hear the sounds that were in there? Maybe it's the word themselves that are dangerous. I had a roommate in college who was from Ireland, and uh, he kind of came to become part of the Walker household. He had no other place to go during holidays, and so he started showing up at our house on holidays and then showing up on weekends because he, he had no other place to stay, and now he's a permanent part of that, the family. We have family gatherings. They come up from Florida and spend time with us. There was one weekend where he and I came back to the house, and we were watching a movie. The movie was set in Ireland, and this word kept coming up, and I hadn't heard this word before. And so I turned to him and I said, Mark, what does mean? Fill in the blank. I don't want to offend anybody if they're from Ireland. I noticed immediately that I had said something awful. My mother came in the room then right after me and she began to utter the word. And back and forth, the two of us said the word six or eight times probably before a minute had gone by. Meanwhile, Mark, my friend from Ireland, just flushed more and more and more red because of how inappropriate that word was for him but it didn't mean anything to us. So did God look at us and say, what you're saying is terrible? I don't think God held us morally culpable for a word that we didn't even understand. Intentionality is important, right? Is it just the particular words or particular sounds? No, obviously it can't be that. So maybe it's words that we all agree on, that we all understand what they mean, and then we agree that they're bad words. But there's a problem with that. A lot of the words that you probably considered bad words, the words that would go in on your list, are actually used in the scriptures. Does God say bad words? Hey, if, if uh, you're offended by a certain word for urine, get out your King James Version of the Bible and type that word into a search engine to see how many times that is used in the scriptures. It's there. Perhaps a word for excrement you consider to be a terribly, terribly bad word. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. The Apostle Paul is talking about his accomplishments. And he says, All these things I have done, and next to them, com compared to the knowledge of God, I consider these things rubbish. Your, your tr Bible will translate that rubbish. The, the Greek word is skubalon. And the fact that I said that, if I'd said that in the first century, would make you go, oh. 
I cannot give the modern equivalent for it because many of you in this room would be offended, and yet Paul says that right within the Scriptures. If you're offended by bodily functions, if they offend you, have you ever read the book of Leviticus? I mean, they go into detail on a lot of these issues, and God speaks about them in sort of unabashed ways. In fact, if we look at the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 18, has a really interesting scripture passage. Did you know that uh, a flatulence joke is in the Bible? God uses a word picture. Remember, Isaiah is a prophet. A prophet is someone who hears directly from God and then conveys God's will to the people. So we're not just hearing the words of Isaiah here. We're hearing the words that God gave to Isaiah. God made a flatulence joke. He talks about Israel trying to bring salvation into being. He says it's like, a, it's like a pregnant woman trying to give birth, but she only gives birth to the wind. In other words, she passes gas. So if, if, you, think, if you think flatulence humor is, is good stuff, and that's right up your alley, we've served the God who created flatulence and apparently had a reason. All right, so that you would laugh. The thing, of, the thing about bad language is that the scriptures actually have a radically different version of what makes language bad than you and I typically think of as Christians during this century in America. The vast majority of Christians, if I asked them what bad language was, would just trot out a series of words, and maybe even words with intentions, but what the scripture describes as bad language looks a lot different than that. So let me tell you what the Bible means when the Bible talks about language being bad. What do the scriptures describe as bad language? Get ready for a little conviction. Number one, thoughtless or careless words. Thoughtless or careless words. What do we mean by that? Small talk. Small talk? Empty talk, wasted words, talking just to talk. Now you might be thinking, well, I do that all the time. Yeah. Why is it that God would describe that as bad? Why would, why would that be a thing that lacks virtue? Why would that be something that God disdains? I'm not, I'm not saying you can't have conversations about small matters. I'm not saying you can't talk about the weather. But there is no one in your life who should think of you as a shallow person. You should not be seeking to put people at ease just by your volume of words just by spouting a, a litany of vacuous, empty ideas. If that is your goal, you're not doing the favor, a favor to the cause of Jesus Christ on this earth. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God engages in small talk? Is there anywhere in Scripture you look at the Lord and you think, just chatting, just throwing out some words. No, when he talks, it means something. And so the idea here is that when Christians talk, they should talk with some meaning and some purpose to their words. A second way the Bible describes bad language is complaining. Complaining. The scriptures tell us to make sure that griping and complaining are not part of our lives. In my household, if we start hearing complaints, I, I say, or Lisa will say, do everything without, and my kids will say, arguing or complaining which is sort of a complaint, right? <laughs> Do everything without arguing or complaining. This comes from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. If you've got your Bibles with you, you might want to make a note of this. This is a good one to put on the refrigerator to keep directing your kids to, or maybe your spouse, or maybe yourself. Do everything without arguing or complaining. Listen to this passage. Do everything without grumbling or arguing or arguing or complaining. 
so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without blemish, though you live in a crooked and perverse society in which you shine as lights in the world. What happens when we complain? Here's what you're trying to represent yourself as to the rest of the world. You're going to the world and you're going, I'm a Christ follower. I have good news. And here's the good news. Christ died for me. I have salvation because of what God did for me. That's good news. But then on the other hand, you're, you're saying that on one level and you're saying, but you know what's worse than good news? It's the bad news. There's so much going wrong in my life. Do you know how busy I am right now? And you're, what you're doing on one hand is you're going, here's an eternal truth that I don't care about because look at all these stupid features in my life. You're communicating a separate thing from what God called you to. The good news has been overwhelmed by the bad news. Hey guys, are we going to have trouble in this world? Yeah. You know we are. God promised us we would. Are there going to be problems for as long as you draw breath in this life? You know that's the case. So why would you act surprised by that? Why would you put that on your plate as the most important thing you need to communicate to everybody else? It's the truth of God. It's just the way things are going to be. You have been saved from this world. Stop giving so much power to these inconveniences that the world throws at you. That should not dominate your life or your talk. So, can I not talk about things that are going wrong? No, you can talk about things that are going wrong. But do so from a posture of victory. If you're going to talk about things that are going wrong in your life, do so from a posture of victory. Smile. Exhibit joy in your trials, in your words, in your attitude. Show people that you are different from those who are perishing in this life. Amen? Do everything without arguing or complaining. Perverse words would be another category. Perverse words is sort of a broad category for all words used where and how they should not be. It's usually attached to sexually explicit language or sexual joking or jesting. It's taking something that's sacred and kind of profaning it in some way. So perverse words. Here's another one, and this kicks people in the teeth. Gossip. Gossip, or as we sometimes call them in the church, prayer requests. <laughs> Gossip is speaking about someone. That, that speaking about someone might be truth, it might be falsehood, but doing so with malicious intent or carelessness. Let me, let me emphasize the latter, carelessness. Because sometimes you might think, I'm not doing this to hurt anybody. But what you're saying could hurt someone if it were heard or when it gets heard. Let me give you some quick rules for dealing with, uh, with what you might think could be gossip. Here's how you, you analyze whether or not it is the case. Number one, would I say what I'm saying in front of this person that I'm speaking about? Would I say it this way with this intonation if they were standing right here? If you wouldn't, it's probably gossip. Number two, am I saying what I'm saying to protect or correct this person? Do I have good intentions for them? Am I trying to help them with what I'm doing right now? Number three, have I talked to this person yet? Have I gotten their permission to speak about this? Or have I been blown off in such a way that I now am seeking to get more help to speak with them? If you've not talked to a person about the problem, chances are you're gossiping. Number four, what good is being accomplished by what I'm saying? Where's this conversation going? How is this going to help the person I'm talking about right now? If you begin asking those questions and the answers come back a little negative. You need to stop what you're doing right in the middle of it. Let me encourage you to do this. 
If you ever catch yourself gossiping, I want you to do this. I'm sorry. I should not be saying this right now. This is gossip. I apologize to you. I need to repent. Right in the middle of it. Call yourself out. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. Stop yourself right in the middle of things. That's the best way to break the habit. It's like when you have a dog that's doing the wrong thing, you smack it on the nose. Kind of do that to yourself. Feel free to do that to yourself in person too. (laughs) That might be pretty entertaining. Another thing the Bible calls bad language is slander. Slander are false charges or misrepresenting someone so as to maliciously destroy their reputation. We might also think of name-calling in this category, calling somebody a fool, ridiculing someone. If you've been called names in the past, if you've experienced name-calling, especially from people who are important to you, you know how damaging that can be. Slander is a bad thing. Number six, carelessly speaking about that which is sacred or holy. As a believer in Jesus Christ, there are certain things that you should hold up and revere, certain things that should be important to you all the time. Things like the name of God, that's important to me. Things like the name Jesus Christ, that should be important to me. I shouldn't just sling that out when I smash my hand with a hammer because that is sacred. When I talk about something like hell, I do it with a little bit of seriousness. I just don't throw that in to pepper my conversation. These things are sacred. They're holy. Beyond that, there are other things that are holy you might not think about as holy, but sexuality is something holy. God made it a particular way in a particular setting and circumstance so that we shouldn't just flippantly toss out references to it to get a laugh. It's sacred. It needs to be set apart even in our language. There's another way in which we take something that's holy and we profane it, and that is when we revile angelic majesties. There are two passages in the scripture that go into detail on this. What does it mean to revile angelic majesties? I've heard ministers do this before. They stand up in, a, in front of a conversation and they talk about how stupid Satan is, or they ridicule the devil, and they talk about the devil as if they have complete authority and power over the devil, and, and they can tell the devil to go away and, and do this or that with the devil. That is not scriptural. We have authority over the devil only by one means. It's by the blood of Christ. Christ, it, it is, it's in the name of God. We call upon God to rebuke or refute or come against the adversary. But it's not because you have any power or I have any power. It's because Christ has the power. And let me tell you another truth of Scripture that is, that is a little difficult to wrap your mind around at first. Satan is holy. The devil is holy. Let me explain what I mean by that. Holy means set apart. Important, completely different than Satan is fulfilling a role. The devil is fulfilling a role in world history right now that is for a purpose. He's literally the devil's advocate. He's literally coming against us and advocating for our destruction, advocating against us before the God of this universe. Satan disdains us and hates us. He's set apart for that purpose, but he is also holy unto destruction. Satan has been set apart to be destroyed. God is holding him aside for destruction. Ultimately, all all problems are going to fall on him at the command of God at his judgment, not at yours. Be careful how you deal with angelic majesties. Lastly, cursing. Oh, good, I knew we were going to get to bad words sometime. Um, Actually not. Cursing in the scriptures is different than what you might understand as cussing or cursing in our context. So if you're thinking about that list of words you can't say, that's not what we mean by cursing. Cursing is wishing ill on somebody or hating somebody or loathing somebody. You can, you can curse somebody or wish ill on them with, with, 
completely appropriate language that your grandmother would approve of. And it is wrong because of exactly what we just discussed. It's intentionality. It's your design. Are you trying to injure with words or hurt with words? Oh, goody, now there are so many words that I know I can say. Ben just liberated me to say the bad word. No, that's not what we're doing today. Many of those words are still not good because they're used in the wrong way in the wrong context. I want you to think about this, though. In Romans chapter 1, Paul has this discussion where he runs through this litany of sinful acts that humans can commit. I want you to just listen to some of these and think about how language ties into these sinful acts. Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32 has this list. In the list, we see things like this, envy. How do you know whether or not somebody is envious? Usually it starts coming out of their mouth. They gripe about what other people have and what they don't have. How about strife? Do you get strife without words? Typically not. What about deceit? It's hard to deceive somebody without words. Malice, hatred. Usually that comes out via words. Mean-spiritedness, gossips, slanderers, insolent, boastful, disrespectful. Many of these things, many of the major sin issues are tied to what we do with our mouths, how we're speaking. Let's talk about the spirit spout. The spirit spout. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never... Remember hearing that? What a load. I mean, that is so not true. Uh, The fact that there are many people in this room who right now can remember instances decades bygone where they were called a particular name or somebody made reference to something about them that they have forever held as a criticism of themselves or parents who said something bad and ridiculed or mocked or people who didn't say something who should have. People who had parents who they wanted to hear, I love you or I'm proud of you, but they never heard it. I know instances where um, one of my friends in ministry was telling me about this. He said, I can't tell you how many times I've stood bedside with somebody who's dying and they say something like that. The only thing I wanted to hear was, I'm proud of you from my dad. And I never heard it. Words have power. Words are extremely powerful. And yes, they can hurt. And yes, they can mend. They do incredible things. Words have power. How do I know this is the case? Genesis chapter 2. The first authority God gives human beings is in the Garden of Eden, and he gives it to Adam. Woman has not even been made yet. And God says to Adam, he says, come here, he sets him out, and then he begins to bring forth every animal in the world before Adam, one at a time. And the first possible authority given to Adam is this, name them. Name them. And the scriptures tell us that whatever Adam called them, God was waiting to see, and whatever he called them, that is what they were that God basically took cues from human beings on what human beings would do. This power to name things is compelling. It's, it's, it's enormous in the human condition. We have the power to control how we see, perceive, and understand things. We are still calling names. It didn't stop with Adam. We are naming our reality right now. We're quite literally shaping our spiritual and perceptual realities every day. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2 through 4 says this. The tongue of the wise man makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of the fool spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Do you think about this? 
Do you think about this this way? Every time you open your mouth, you are either bestowing life on other human beings or you are crushing their spirit. You are either bestowing life on other human beings, filling them up, or you are crushing their spirit. There's a sociological term called reification. Everyone say reification. Reification is when you take a concept or word and you just speak about it over and over again and you talk about it so much that even though it is just a concept, for you it begins to become a reality. It becomes a reality in your life. You've all done this. We've all done this. Consider like something like uh, complaining or worrying aloud. Complain about your spouse to somebody for a little while. Start doing it on a regular basis. You know what you're going to find? You start hating them. Your complaints begin to be empowered. The way you complain and what you say about them begins to shape what you think about them. Many divorces have come about because an individual decides that they're just going to gripe about their spouse all the time. And what they said, while a concept, becomes their reality and they actually end up rupturing and destroying the relationship. Gripe about a circumstance in your life. Start complaining about it to everybody. Oh, I hate my job, I hate my job, I hate my job. And you will find that it begins to predominate your every thought. It's all you can think about because you have created power using your words. You've articulated your own reality. If you worry out loud about hypotheticals all the time, you start talking about what might be, what might be, what might be. Notice how you get progressively more and more terrified, more and more paranoid. Why? because you are speaking your reality into existence. By naming, you are empowering uh, those items. The culture does this constantly, by the way, sometimes very intentionally. So for instance, if I say the word phobic, some of you immediately have a negative reaction. Why? That word just means fear. Because they attach it to words, and if I can say phobic after a word, then what I'm saying to you is, if, you, if I call you that, now I don't have to deal with any of your ideas. Your ideas are all worthless. And it's, it's what we call an ad hominem attack. It's name calling. But for many people, it gets them out of an argument. They, the argument's done as soon as I call someone that. Phobic. What are your words making? You probably don't think of your words as crushing the life out of people or filling people with life. But that analogy does fit. That's exactly what the scriptures are saying there. You have a spirit spout. Every time you open your mouth, you're either filling people up or you're draining them. I could, I could bolster this case philosophically, but I shouldn't have to. I bolstered it already theologically. I'll bolster it more, but I shouldn't have to because you all know this experientially. Francis Chan was talking about a certain type of person in his church. This is back when he was in his church in California. And he said, sometimes you just walk into the congregation and, and you see somebody approaching and it's like, oh no, here we go. Right? Because you just know they're coming up and, and he, you know, Francis Chan's not one to bandy words. So he goes, what's wrong now? Like that's how he approaches people like that. Because there are some people who just carry around complaints and it's all they want to do. And as soon as you see them, you're like, oh man, this is going to drain me. This is going to suck the life out of me. You've all experienced, don't look around the room. You've all experienced people in the church who do that to you. And you see them coming, and it's like, oh, no. But you've seen the opposite as well, right? There are people in the church who you see them, and you're like, oh, I need to be fed. And you just know that if you talk to them and you hear words to them, it's just going to fill up your spirit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fill you. It's going to feed you. I want you to think about, use your brain for the eternal battle. Think about your emotion that thing that's to help you analyze life. And I want you to think about how it feels 
when you are doing one of the following. Ready? Think about this. How does this feel when you are doing these things? Complaining. Does it fill you up or does it drain you? How about when you're listening to complaints? Does it fill, fill you up or does it drain you? Bickering. Does it fill you up? Does it drain you? Gossiping. How's it feel? Does it fill you up and, or drain you? Think about when you gossip. I want you to think about the, after you, you've talked garbage about somebody, I want you to think about how it feels to come into that person's presence the next time you see them. Does that feel good? If the spirit of the living God is in you, it should not feel good. It should feel bad. Small talk. Does it fill you up or does it drain you? Perverse talk. Mocking others. Laughing at the expense of others. Mirroring any of those sentiments. Does it fill you up or does it suck the life right out of you? Does this not inspire guilt? Does it not inspire worry or self-loathing? Or does it not diminish your view of other people? It drains you. By contrast, I want you to think about this. Think about how this feels. Complimenting people. Being complimented. Does it fill you up or does it drain you? Sharing joy, sharing sadness or concern, encouraging one another, fill you up or does it drain you? Speaking truth over and against falsehood, making peace, taking conflict and redirecting it and helping people to see the negative and understand the positive. Does it fill you up or does it drain you when you do it for others, when it is done for you? How about speaking about God? Does it fill you up or does it drain you? Searching for truth, helping others to search for truth, joking and laughing with godly people who are doing it in a godly way. Does this not cause you to feel good about yourself, to feel better about those who are around you, to feel more hopeful about the world? Don't these types of words fill you up? Make no mistake, your words are making you or they're breaking you. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14 said this, from the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Are you filling yourself up with good things by what you say? Your words are revealing you. Not only are they always spiritually significant, but they're showing us who you really are. It was old man Jenkins. What's inside of you? Rabbi Zacharias recounts an old Hindu proverb, and I love this proverb. It's a really good one. It says this, what is in a man spills out when he is bumped. What is in a man spills out when he is bumped. Have you been in a restaurant and you've gotten the wrong meal, or they, they way overcooked the steak, or they undercooked the chicken? How do you respond? Are you the type of person that says, hey, everybody's got a bad day. It's okay, no big deal. Send it back to the kitchen, bring it back out. No problem. Oh, I know, no, you're fine, you're fine. I'm sorry to inconvenience you. Are you loving that person like Christ died for that person and Christ cares about that person and, and they are of eternal value? Or are you the person who's going, I want to see the manager. And you work very hard to ruin that person's life and that person's day. What is in you will spill out when you are bumped. Do you know people who, as soon as you get around, you're like walking on eggshells immediately. Oh, man, I don't want to. They, they just blow up, and, and you know it, it, they can just be set off by the smallest thing. And so you're constantly guarding your words like, oh, I don't want to give them one more reason to criticize me or to challenge what I'm doing or to hate me. Do you like being around people like that? If you know that you hate being around people like that, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, do not be a person like that. What is inside you spills out when you are bumped. The Hindu proverb is correct. When you are inconvenienced, when you are insulted, when you are injured, 
what you are filled up with begins to spill out. Jesus said as much too. You remember in Jesus, uh, in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is preaching, uh, one of the things he says is he says, look, sin is not something that just happens outside of you. Sin actually begins inside of you. It's what's in a man's heart that is where sin actually takes root and begins. It's what's going on in your mind where sin begins and is empowered. This is true. What is in you is going to spill out. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Let's, let's see how we are revealing ourselves. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12. And he says this to them. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, you bunch of baby snakes. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? Listen, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. What is in you is coming out of you. You speak what is inside you. you your words are revealing you. Your words aren't just revealing you, though. They are also condemning or vindicating you. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 35 through 37. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure what is evil. Listen to this, verse 36. If you've got a pen, get ready to underline here. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. I tell you that every careless word a person speaks, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. Verse 37, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What are your words telling us about you? What are your words saying to the world and to God about what's inside of you right now? Now, I'm not trying to tell you you're going to hell if you've engaged in misconduct with your words, but I am telling you this. If you engage on a regular basis in misconduct with your words, you'd better figure out what's going on inside of you. It's not good. Imagine it this way. Imagine uh, you wake up tomorrow morning and you are bleeding from your eyes. It's just your eyes are oozing blood. You're bleeding from your nose and from your ears and from your fingernail beds. Every orifice on your body is oozing blood. What is your biggest problem now? Is it you don't have enough paper towel? Is that the biggest issue you need to address? Oh, I made a mess. <sighs> your biggest problem is not what's happening on the outside. Your biggest problem is what's going on inside. What's happening within me that is causing this? You don't need more paper towel. You need a physician. You need a great physician. Amen? What is inside of us is coming out. It's demonstrating what's going on internally. Let's talk about words that feed. I, I would love to do a sermon on each one of the topics we have just mentioned because there's so much that can be said about each of these things, each of these ways we fail with our mouths. But in, or, in order to do that, we'd have to take the rest of the day. I'm, as much as you guys love me, I'm sure you're not interested in doing that. So let me just give you some guidelines for controlling what it is that comes out of your mouth and directing it. Guideline number one, words that feed. Here we go, ready? Shut up. Shut up. You can't say that in church. I just did. <laughs> Shut up. If you talk too much, you are bound to do damage with your words. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says this. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. It's just gonna happen. 
but he who restrains his lips is wise. Think about your words. Let me give you another word picture. Think about your words like a chimpanzee with a razor-sharp samurai sword. Would you be okay if I just let one of those loose in the room right now? Would you freak out a little? That's what's happening with our words a lot of times. We're just letting things loose without thinking about the destruction it causes. Can we shut up? Can we stop ourselves and go, nope, not going to say that. That's the chimpanzee with the samurai sword. I'm not letting that loose in this room. That's going to hurt somebody. That might hurt me. Think about that as a visual. Now, you, you do that every day. You let things out of your mouth that ought not have come out of your mouth. If you're married, chances are your spouse could tell us you've probably already done that this morning. Amen? Yeah. Chimpanzees with samurai swords. Matthew, uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. Um, John Ortberg, let me talk about this. John Ortberg is a minister, and uh, he is a, kind of a famous minister. He was being trained by a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is one of the foremost, or was one of the most foremost, experts on spiritual disciplines in our world. Um, Orberg called Dallas Willard, and he's like, hey, I got some problems in my life right now. Here's some things that are going on, and I'm, the tension's ratcheting up, and I, and I don't know what to do. I, I need your advice. What should I do? And Dallas Willard said, silence, solitude. Silence and solitude. And Ortberg said he wrote that down. And he said, okay, okay, what else? And there was a long pause on the other end of the phone. And Dallas Willard said, nothing else, just that. Silence and solitude. Silence is a spiritual discipline. It's a lost spiritual discipline. For generations, particularly in the monastic church, there was a practice of silence where people would devote themselves to silence for a time. And it's difficult for most of us because when I say spiritual disciplines, most of us think things that I do in order to be more spiritual, but that's not what it is. A spiritual discipline is something you do in training right now so that you might accomplish something great later on. It's preparing me to do what I cannot do today for what is yet to come. And so something like silence is a big deal. Have you ever gone on a word fast? Do without words for a day. Let me ask you this simple question. Some of you are like, that is not even possible. That is so impossible. I can't begin to tell you how impossible that, that is. Listen to me. If you were to do that just two days in a month for the rest of the year, do you think you would be a deeper person or a more shallow person? How different would your conversation with God be if you went for silent, for silent times, long periods of time without silence? If I told you tomorrow, you've only got 20 words to say all day tomorrow, do you think you'd be careful with how you used them? Do you think you'd say anything shallow or stupid? No, you'd have a lot of time to think about it, and you'd probably put together something pretty brilliant. At least one would hope. Let us shut up. Let us make a regular practice of this so that the ideas we do share become more precious and important. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Set the words aside. Just stand in awe of God. First rule, shut up. Rule number two, hesitate. Hesitate. Don't rush your responses. A rush to talk, talking over others, failing to listen, failing to evaluate your words before you say them is going to result in you frequently ruining what you say, regretting it. Amen? 
We've all experienced this, right? And we and think about the conversations you've been in with conversational narcissists, people who do this to you. You're talking to them, and you can tell the whole time you're talking to them, they're not listening. They're just waiting for their turn, you know? It's like, I've got this more brilliant thing I need to say, so hurry up. Don't be that person. Be an actual listener. Be somebody who listens and who thinks and who waits before they speak. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28 says this. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. If you're a righteous person, think about how you're going to respond. Proverbs 13, verse 3 says this, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. James 1, verse 19 says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear, quick to what? Slow to speak and slow to anger. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's God's prescription for you. Does it describe you? Would you say that's a good description of how you act right now? Lastly, we want to um, construct with our words. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Construct with your words. You know what's easy? Demolition. Destroying things is easy. Any idiot with a sledgehammer can destroy something. It is far more difficult. It is a far more exacting thing to construct, to build something. Which is, is, the, is the mission of your words? What are your words accomplishing? Do they build or do they destroy? Are you the idiot swinging a hammer? Are you the chimpanzee with a samurai sword? Or are you somebody who's building something with what you say? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 31. Speak words that build people up. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Some people are going to need different things. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every, every other form of malice. So what should we speak? Only that that builds people up according to their needs. Speak wise counsel. Speak wise counsel. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart. And the pleasantness of one's friends spring from earnest counsel. Be the type of person who speaks honestly and earnestly with people. The type of person you can show up, people can show up into your life, and you are the person who tells them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Even rebuke should be geared toward the purpose of rebuilding people. Is it necessary to always encourage? No. Sometimes you have to look at a person and go, you're wrong. You're mistaken. What you're thinking right now is not right. The attitude you have right now is not right. You need to be the type of person who can do that. Uh, construction people in the room. If you've got a bad foundation, do you build on it anyway? No. Because what's going to happen? It's going to destroy everything you construct. Some people's lives are that way. You have to destroy the foundation. You have to break down the foundation and pour a new one before you're ready to build anything there. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 and 12 says this, a word aptly spoken or spoken at the right time is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Somebody who listens and hears and heeds real counsel 
actually gets real change. Is that what your words are doing? Guys, we've got to determine whether or not our words are going to build up or tear down and use or refrain from using our words accordingly. Can we please shut up? Can we hesitate? Can we be constructive and wise? We need to, as Christians, be hypercognitive about what it is that's coming out of our mouths. Our words reveal us. Our words condemn us or vindicate us. They feed those around us or they drain the life right out of those people who surround us or drain out our very lives. They declare the gospel or they, they castrate the gospel and make it powerless. Words have power. They matter. Your words matter. And God is taking note. Let's close out on this. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is a prophet of God, so that means this. It means he hears directly from God, and he gives the word that God gave him to the people. Here's what we read in Malachi chapter 3. Something weird is going on. It's been happening all morning. It happened as you were getting out of your car and coming into the parking lots. It's happened when we started the service. It's going to happen right when we're done. Listen to Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention. The God of this universe listened, and he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I prepare my own possession. I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Think about this. When we gather together as believers and when we talk to one another and we feed one another with our words, the Lord looks at us and he's like, Look what my kids are doing. And he goes, write that down. I want to hear that again. That's something that needs to last into eternity. So that someday in the kingdom of God, you and I might look at one another. We might go, what happened on August 30th of 2020? Let's go to the archives. Because the Lord took note. And that's happening every time you encounter another believer and speak with those wise words with another believer. Let's get God to record a little bit more of us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to go awry with words. Lord, I pray that as we all listen to this sermon, and and even as I was preaching it, Father, convict us of the ways in which we're doing this wrong, and help us to call ourselves out even right in the middle of it when we're transgressing and we're doing a, a thing that we should be ashamed of. Holy Spirit, let us know. And God, help us not just in that moment to repent, but to to truly turn away and to truly change who we are, that we might not make those mistakes in the future. God, we want to be people who, when we're bumped, all that comes out is grace and love and kindness and goodness. Fill up our hearts with that, O Lord. We love you. It's your most precious name we pray, Father. Amen.